here are five ways to get your deposit ready for your first or next investment property. My name's Arjun Paliwal, and I'm the head of research at Investigate Buyers Agency. And if you're new to the world of property investing, then this episode's for you. Whether you have a home or whether this is your first property overall, you're going to get value on the different ways that you can build a deposit in growing your portfolio. Now, there are more ways than the five here, but this first five is all about the most key and common ways to scale a portfolio and get your deposit ready for the next purchase. So join me on another episode of Investigate Podcast, where I take you through the five ways of building a deposit for your first investment property. Let's jump straight into it. Way number one is the most simplest in terms of the complexity being removed and just focusing on you and what you can control. And that is just cash or your own hard-earned savings. Now, where this number goes really wrong is actually to do with how much people think is actually required. Now, if you're buying a property for your first home, there might be many things to consider like, A, can you get a lower deposit loan with a government guarantee scheme? And that might mean you only chip in 5% on the deposit and avoid mortgage insurance. B, are you buying it in New South Wales and in the certain price limit or within your state's own rules of price limits and potentially avoiding stamp duty overall? And then C, if you want in some of those categories or both of those categories, do you have a certain profession that might help you avoid mortgage insurance depending on how much you borrow? The main thing here is that you could be buying an investment property or actually it's an investment for your long term, but for now a home in terms of your journey for anywhere between 5% to 10% plus costs. And if it's in that 5% plus costs and you get all trifecta of what I've mentioned, then you could be seeing for a million dollar property around $50,000 of savings. Now this blows many people's mind because you might actually already be at that mark and ready to go, but didn't realize that you could have that. But please be careful because that is the New South Wales stamp duty waived. That is the government scheme around, you know, limited places where you have 5% deposit and no mortgage insurance to pay. Or that is you putting mortgage insurance in your loan and just having the 5% deposit plus some small cost to go towards it, which make it that 50 to 60,000. So this is like all crazy trifecta and every sort of scenario coming together to make that first home and have your first foot into the door. Now, that's the case of your home. What about your investment? You might have things like your stamp duty or a 10% deposit or less depending on which bank you're at. Lawyers, pest and building, and maybe even your insurance up front as well as buyer's agent fees. Now, I've often found that the sweet spot can start at around $80,000, potentially a bit lower if you opt for higher leverage loans or higher than that. Now, this could be made up in a combination of your tax returns, your monthly savings or bonus or commissions, and depending on how much you're saving is how long it may take. Now, to give you some guidelines that I've seen from seeing many portfolios, you shouldn't really be saving less than 25% of your net income. You should be aiming for more than that. And understand not every income or every lifestyle is the same. So please take into account your own circumstances. But aiming for 25 to 40% of your net salary or net income in the year going to savings is a great starting point and something that can achieve some serious results. If you get beyond 40% of your net salary, you're a phenomenal saver and you're really managing this well, 
and or you have a really high income with great habits. The key here is that way number one is all about your own savings and going about it that way. And it just varies depending on states, price points, first home or first investment, schemes, no scheme to decide how far from that low point of 25 to 50k all the way to the higher points of 60k to 100 and onwards depending on where you are at the scale for all those core points. The second option is the bank of mum and dad. Now the bank of mum and dad is very different to the next part I'll tell you which is guarantor but the bank of mum and dad is essentially just gifts whether it be you know cash that they give you or whether it be other forms of gifts. The core thing here is that it's essentially getting money from close relatives, whether it be in the form of inheritance, hand-me-downs, gifts, whatever you want to call it, loans from family. The core thing here is that this is way number two and helps you get that you know, step on the right direction. Way number three is actually now looking at it from OPM. OPM stands for other people's money. Now, you might be surprised at how you know common I do see this happen, but there are instances where people may have a deposit and there are instances where the people that have a deposit don't have borrowing capacity. They could be close friends, partners, and so forth. And the core here is that one person is bringing a certain thing to the table and someone else is bringing something else. And so what happens is that you may set up trusts to form partnerships and you may look at certain other ways or other contracts that you set up. But the key here is that you're able to bring people with different strengths to the table or pile up smaller amounts of money and bring it together. In fact, there was a group of young men that I'd helped support. There were four of them come together and they're all friends that came together to purchase a property and they each had limited savings but wanted to put it all together, buy it in a trust and were able to get it. Now, I don't recommend that because I do feel that often people do have life situations change or have circumstances change. But if you have great clarity, relationship, and of course, a journey that you're focused on together, then it may work and allow you to all get into a property investment versus not. Now, there are other ways to look at this too. So things like platforms that allow shared approach to buying properties. Some call them buying properties brick by brick, or some you know, have independent shares and percentages. And they're both the same concept, but just different ways to label them. And it's almost like a crowdfunding platform for property investing is the simplest way to explain it. Things like that exist. There are also variations of these platforms, which are, you know, rent to pay deposit or things that do vendor financing, where you're paying a certain monthly repayment to fulfill the deposit. And then the vendor sells it to you back under those terms that they continue to get that financing until that deposit's cleared. So these are a few ways that involve other people's money to be able to get that going through. So that is three ways now of the five. The fourth one is equity. So equity is where you're now using money against your current property. So for example, if you have a $500,000 home that you're living in and it's got a $350,000 loan on there and then you opt to take it to 80%, $350,000, if you grow that to $400,000, that's a 50K increase, that now equals 80% of 500K. That gap is allowing you to then take it out as an equity loan, being the 50K, and that would boost your deposit towards your next property. Now, equity loans are often processed in two ways. One is what we call cash out, and this actually creates two loans. So visually, you'll see a 500K property, 350K loan, 50K loan. And so by these three loans, you're able to create some separation, two loans actually, not three. Uh, three numbers though, the price of the property, 
the loan number one, loan number two, you're able to create separation for your accountant and start to say, hey, this loan is for that investment on my home. This loan is cash out that I took for this next property. And then naturally your following loan will be the remaining amount for that property. Equity growth is how I've personally scaled my portfolio. It's allowed me to really ensure that by using purchases that I earlier made to remove equity and fund it, it's allowed me to scale portfolios even further. But when it comes to the two ways I talked about, one was cross-security and the other one was cash out. Cross-security is a similar concept to cash out. However, instead of it being independent loans for independent purposes, they're tied together. Some may consider their pros to this because you have simplified loan structures and also simplified tax deductibility, not having to worry about the perfect amount of equity to come out and how much is the right, how much isn't, and not have to worry about multiple loan splits. But on the downside, you may have to worry about the bank having their hands on two properties tied together versus one, and it may limit flexibility and may create challenges down the track. The option is yours, but there are pros and cons either way. I've opted to go down the cash out scenarios just so I can remain flexible across my portfolio because it allows me to look at what valuations are for multiple banks to be able to take that out and figure out the best way forward. Now that's number four, using this way of getting cash out and that's using equity loans. The fifth one is guarantors. So guarantors is the same as what we talked about in number two, which was the bank of mom and dad, except that you aren't relying on their gifts or you know cash that they'd like to give you, you're relying on their assets. And it's a tie-in between the last point I just went, equity, and also the bank of mom and dad. So the banks will essentially ask your parents to sign on as guarantors, and they'll sign on as guarantors by placing their property in a cross-security position. So in simple terms, property A comes together with property B, Property B is the one you want to purchase. Property as your parents' place. And together, there is lending on both of them combined. The lending against property B, the one you're purchasing, is the one that's a higher loan. And that may be 80% as an example. And of 500K, that'd be $400,000. Then 25%, and I'll tell you where the 5% comes from. 20% is the remaining to take 80 to 100. And then 5% is just an estimate for costs stamp duties, and things like that. Now, that 25% comes against your parents' property as well. So if they had a million-dollar property with no loan, it's approximately 250 k against their property. And then from their, that perspective, is 25%. If your parents have a million-dollar property, that 25% could go against theirs. So 20% is the 100000 from your $400,000 loan going up to 500 to make sure that the vendor has the full amounts of money. And then that 5% might be that extra 25K. So 125 going against the million dollar property versus 400 going against your 500K property. Together, in your eyes though, the loan in your name signed to you is 525. The 125 plus the 400 as an example. So the key part here is that this might be great for someone with no cash savings or limited cash savings because you've bridged the gap to purchase that 500k property. But the downside here is your repayments are higher and your cash flow is less because the loan owing is 525 on a 500k property because of the guarantor property added on. So if I just have confused a little bit or move things around, the core thing here is that you didn't really have to put much or if any cash down and you've been able to ensure that the guarantor, your parents' property, combined with the property you've purchased, 
have loans to fund all necessary parties, government and seller, and you're responsible for the repayment. So it might be for great savers or great payers of repayments, but those that have not had the time in that environment to save as much to get it done, or simply just wanting to fast track it. So these are five ways. The bank of mum and dad, your own hard savings, guarantor, equity, and other people's money. In those were microways around trusts, vendor finance, no crowdfunding deals, all these other things that have come up. But the main thing here is that if you take a step back, these 20% examples were just examples. I've seen my journey have property investing with 10% deposits and sometimes even less. The key is consider your buffers, consider your borrowing capacity, consider your risk appetite, and then you've essentially worked out how much cash you need to have aside, what price you're going to, and how much lending you'll take. And this will leave you with the leftover cash position required. And if you're looking through these five options, can I leverage through Guarantor to get me on the ladder? And eventually I'll remove that Guarantor when either A, the property value increases, or B, a combination of A and B, the loan comes down and the valuation increases. Or can I move to maybe the bank of mum and dad and just have cash? Can I save my own money? Can I work with friends or other platforms or other ways to get the deposit? And lastly, maybe I have a home, but didn't realize I have some equity there to fund the next purchase. Whatever your decision may be, it's about knowing options and about coming back to those core decisions of buffer, risk management or appetite, and capacity slash capability. 65, 75, 85, they're the bare minimums you want to be working off on the investment world. If you take it up to 100, it also offers you some healthy buffers, plus that 65 to 85 to make it work for all costs and expenses. Most importantly, it doesn't have to come from your own cash. That was just one of the five ways there. These are different ways to help you get across the line for your first investment, or even if your first home, potentially. So I hope this helps you. Another episode of the Investigate podcast really focused in on five ways to get your deposit and five ways you can fund your deposit for your first investment property to be able to start the journey. And then from there, guess what? It does get easier as you get to property two, three, four, because now you have multiple layers of equity working for you. And that's the core part that will beat how much you can usually save if you've invested in the right markets for the long term.